KRCL, Salt Lake City. Do you work for Adobe, Google, or American Express? If so, you can double your gift to KRCL through their matching gift programs. Donate today and find a full list of companies that match at krcl.org. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. I'm Rashawn Leak, and this is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. Thanks for plugging into your community with me on this cold Tuesday night. Tonight on Roundtable Tuesday edition of the show, Women, Life, Freedom in Iran. We have several people from Free Iran SLC here to share their stories and concerns about women and girls in Iran and protesters in general. So stay tuned to hear from Nasreen Mohammadi, whose voice Laura shared on last night's show, recorded at a rally over the weekend at the Gateway Mall in downtown SLC. Shanti Dimayad, Maryam Radpour, and Hamid Gandahari. So they're going to really give us a, a, a look at uh, some things that we might not be privy to in our normal day-to-day life. But first, we have Rallies and Resources with Radioactive Zone, Laura Jones. Hey, Rashawn. We gave a preview with eBay. We're going to get into how cold it is, but I wanted to talk about some other things first. Yeah, of course. So it is the holidays, and giving is on people's mind. There are several community events going on mm-hmm. that you can contribute to at the Road Home, at Candy Cane Lane with the YWCA. I heard that. That sounds so awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there is the Eccles Winter Clothing Drive benefiting Volunteers of America. And also the Uprock and Art Space Bridge Project Christmas Drive, our own Keith McDonald mm-hmm. involved in that one. That one goes through the 22nd. And then there's the Utah Tribal Relief Foundation Holiday Drive. Those are several that I have info about and I've put on rallies and resources. Tomorrow night is the Homeless Persons Candlelight Vigil, 530 at Pioneer Park, 350 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Coordinated by 4th Street Clinic, which is a clinic for folks experiencing homelessness. And it is to remember and honor homeless persons who have died in Salt Lake City this year. Just five in the last five days, we found out today from the press conference with Salt Lake City Mayor Erin Mendenhall about uh, her emergency proclamation. Also, uh, tomorrow night and Thursday night, I understand, we're going to find out from Dave John and company. In from the cold overnight movie marathon, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. at First United Methodist Church. I believe we have Pastor A.J. Bush going to join us, Wendy Garvin and Dave from ours, Unsheltered Relatives. And then don't forget, on Friday the 23rd, if you need help putting a Christmas dinner on the table, it is the Crossroads Urban Center Christmas Food Giveaway, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Roland Hall. It's over in the 9th and 9th neighborhood of Salt Lake City, specifically 843 South Lincoln Street in Salt Lake. Crossroads Urban Center says if you need help with food, come on down. Receive a frozen turkey, some sides for your holiday meal. They want you to drive north on Lincoln Street, and they'll just have you pop your trunk, and they'll throw it in there. You can also walk up. No registration, no documentation required. If you need help, it's while supplies last. First come, first serve. Yeah, and I know that uh, I can speak firsthand that they just got a nice little donation. You know, the donation we do every year where we make uh, stockings. So this year, you and your family, yeah, uh, Joe, Joe, me, uh, and the two boys. So this year, and then our, and then the community, whoever shows up to give gear. Uh, this year, though, we split it between uh, Utah AIDS uh, AIDS Foundation and uh, and them, and we were able to give what 130. We dropped up 130 today. 130 stocking. So it's got wow. shampoo, soaps, conditioners. I mean, you know, we're. I, I would just tell you to our listeners, if you are looking to figure out how you can get involved. There's a lot of organizations that will take whatever you're willing to give and, and make sure they find a good home for it. And in turn, if you need that help, those Show organizations up. are there. In fact, if you go to krcl.org under community affairs, there's a connect page. And I, I've tried to collect those for everybody to uh, have access to, whether you can help or you need help. Our community has a lot to offer and does so freely. So do check that out. All right. So earlier today, Mayor Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall signed an emergency order authorizing homeless resource centers in Salt Lake City 
To further expand their capacity effective immediately, it'll allow for 25 added beds at each of the two shelters in city boundaries. Mill Creek and South Salt Lake are agreeing to do the same with their shelters. And this will add nearly 100 beds to the system as a whole. And I have a few comments from that press conference earlier today. There were an average of 109 beds available each night in the county shelter system in the month of December. The frigid temperatures led to those beds over the weekend becoming effectively full. And ahead of what we expect to be dangerously low temperatures in the coming days and even in the coming weeks, I have two announcements today aimed at preventing similar tragedies. First, this morning I signed an emergency order authorizing the homeless resource centers in Salt Lake City to further expand their capacity and that's effective immediately. This will allow for 25 additional beds at each of the Salt Lake City Homeless Resource Centers, and that's beyond the state legislated flex numbers that have already been achieved earlier this year. What's more is that Mayor Silvestrini and Mayor Wood in South Salt Lake and Mill Creek, which are the other locations for this year's winter overflow shelters, have also agreed to take similar steps with emergency declarations in their cities. So altogether, these moves, because Salt Lake City is not acting alone, will allow our service providers the opportunity to add 95 beds as soon as they are able. We are working together in a more collaborative and coordinated way than I can ever remember, and I am very grateful. I'm also pleased to announce that the State Office of Homelessness will utilize any unspent funds from existing contracts they have for overflow shelter to cover these additional needs like staffing and transportation. This is a tremendous and critical function and we need it to ensure that people can not only have a place to sleep but can get there with the transportation that's needed. It would not be possible for us to do this without the state's support. Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall Rashawn earlier today in issuing an emergency order authorizing homeless resource centers in Salt Lake City to further expand their capacity. So we uh, want to bring into the conversation now, we have Wendy Garvin from Unsheltered Utah. Carl Moore just Carl walking Moore in. Just Thanks, Carl. Carl from Moore Pandas in the house. And Salt Lake City Air Protectors. There's some headphones for you. On Zoom, we have Dave John and from First United Methodist, Pastor A.J. Bush. Go ahead and unmute yourselves ladies and gentlemen, and we're gonna dive into this. So there's an emergency proclamation, and in this conference, this press conference, the mayor also acknowledged that in five days, five people have died on the streets during these bitterly cold temperatures. Um, the, the proclamation has been issued, but the lag time to get those beds mm -hmm. in there, I mean, staffing is constraining efforts as well. Um, the politicians today said that uh, last weekend there were still available beds um, uh, who is responsible for going out and scooping and, up and people, I, Rashawn, I, right? Well, I think that's it, Laura. I mean, you know, it, the number sounds great, and, and I love that something's being done right now, but why right now? Like, it's it, it hasn't just started getting cold, you know? I mean, it has been freezing for a while, mm -hmm. and it feels like... It feels like, you know, it's great that the mayor's showing up, but where's the governor? Like, we're, we need bigger... Wayne Eater, as of the governor's person for, for this issue, was there at the press conference Good. I spoke to. I didn't pull yeah. up any of Wayne's comments, but check tonight's show notes. <laughs> I'll have it there. I, yeah, <laughs> but I just mean, that, you know, and I say that just that I, I, I want more. I, I, you know, and maybe Who do you I'm want more from is I, my question. I, yeah, and that's it. I want more from the governor. I want more from the mayor. I want more from mayors. Yeah. This is not just a Salt Lake City issue. Mm. We are, you know, we see our unsheltered coming to Salt Lake because that's where the resources are. But it's, yeah. it's, it's just all, all over. It's well, and all since over. we broke up the road home, there's resources now Yay, in South Salt Project, Lake, in Mill Rio Creek, Grand. in Midvale. So, you know, expanding this um, responsibility. Mm -hmm through our institutions has taken place. Right. But in the meantime, we have folks on the ground, grassroots, making efforts. Wendy Garvin is here from Unsheltered Utah. Wendy, uh, what did you think in, in hearing these comments in this emergency proclamation today? Well, I think I really agreed that, um, why now? Why not over the last two years when these things have been just as much as the crisis? Like, did it need to drop just two more degrees and more bodies on the ground before she finally decided that this was the time? And I'm going to offer a counter. I have seen the state doing nothing but adding resources, adding money, coordinating, bringing 
different service providers together and really helping, but they have been blocked by the ban on new shelters by Aaron Mendenhall. And I keep hearing that same argument that you gave, this is not just a Salt Lake City problem, it's a problem of all over the valley. And that's very true. People do come in to all of the urban areas all from all over the valley. But let's be honest, that's what happens in all major cities. And there is some value in consolidating resources. Staffing is always the most, the most valuable and expensive thing, right? So if you consolidate some resources, you can serve many more people. And so it's been really frustrating that this is where people live. And I don't know any other policy under any other, um, any other administrator where they can say, well, you just can't live here. You have to go someplace else if you want to eat and sleep and live. I think that's what our civilization or what we call civilization mm -hmm. is struggling with. Uh, Pastor A.J. Bush and Dave John, let's get you in here. And Carl, you're welcome to, to comment here, too. I want to find out how the grassroots have decided to come to this. And I know that you've been doing it for a while, Dave, with hours, hour and sheltered relatives and pandos and Salt Lake City air protectors working on the street to feed people every Saturday. But you uh, stepped into this group as well, Dave, for movie night last, what was it, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Did it start on Wednesday last week? Well, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And well, good evening, relatives, too. You know, they usually start off with good morning, relatives, on my show. That reminder but, um, for folks, Dave John, co-host, Living the Circle of Life, Sunday, 7 to 10. Go ahead, Dave. Um, yeah, the way this came to be was um, it was nice that when I got a text from Wendy, you know, talking about we need to do something, and she kind of mentioned that she was looking for a place <clears throat> um, that, you know, might be able to open up their doors because uh, we've seen this over and over again i mean you know we've asked the city we asked the mayor but she always drags her feet she always has good plans and stuff you know saying oh we're going to do this in november but as we've seen those words always fall way short mm -hmm. she might get them going but that's in fe february and then what mm -hmm. two months later that program's ended you know by that time there's already on some of these unsheltered relatives that already froze to death. And so, you know, I think with this, with um, Pastor AJ uh, opening up her doors to allow this program uh, to, you know, help the unsheltered just to get off the street and enjoy a movie, you know, that way they could just watch a movie, get warm, stay warm. Um, you know, the only downfall is, yeah, we, you know, they have to leave in the morning. Yeah. You know, we're not trying to be a shelter or anything. We just want to provide a mm -hmm. safe environment for our unsheltered relatives. Pastor but, Bush, let's go over to you and hear how it went last week. Movie night. How did you decide to commit First United Methodist Church to this act of charity? Absolutely. Hello, everyone. My name is Pastor A.J. Bush. I'm pastor at First United Methodist Church in Salt Lake City. And this has really been a wonderful partnership between all of these organizations. And just so happened that we as the church had the space that we were able to provide. And so I got a call from Wendy on Thursday, you know, asking if, if we could do this. And in conversation with a couple other people at the church, we said, Yes, our space is uh, empty overnight. It's being heated anyways. Let's uh, use this space to, to do something good in the community. And because of all the other organizations and the volunteers and security and everything that they provided, uh, we were able to do it. And so it's just been a wonderful Christmas miracle of all of these uh, organizations coming together to really save lives. How many folks did you host in the church Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday last week during those bitterly cold temperatures that are continuing. Yeah, so the first night was a pretty quick turnaround, and so we had a few less people on Thursday, around 35 on Thursday. But the other three nights, we were full to capacity between 75 and 80 people each night. And did you hear any common threads from the folks that you had in the church about their needs or their experiences, Pastor? Oh, there was just, there was a lot of gratitude from people, just very grateful that they could come in out of the cold, 
Um, a lot of the people are just so exhausted from having to try and stay awake at night to stay warm. So being able to just come in and have a safe place to rest, have snacks. Uh, we had so many other groups came in and gave uh, gift bags and gloves and hygiene kits and just just really wonderful uh, to be able to meet people's needs and mostly keep them warm and safe. I, I want to say just personally, thank you so much, Pastor. I think it's it, it's just amazing to see people really, really stand up for what they believe in and really help our, our community because this is our community. What, what are we seeing that the, what do they need? What, is there a need that our, our listeners can, can supply? I know there's a lot of, a lot of food drives going on, a lot of, uh, like what, from a donation standpoint, how, how do our members get involved? Yeah, so Wendy might be a good person to, to talk about that. You know, we're trying to build this up as a, as a new ministry, as a new uh, project together. And I know one of the things that we need right now is mats for people to, to lay on. Um, but I would also ask Wendy that question of what, what we most need for donations. Thanks. Yeah, so I think that um, what we need most right now is actually volunteers. Mm. Um, you know, this is this is a hard time for coverage. It's the middle of the night. We're asking people to come in for six or 12 hours overnight, and that's a big ask. And for those of you who have answered, thank you so much for giving up your nights and your sleep and for being there with such compassion and gentleness and kindness. Um, but we have seen such an overwhelming um, amount of donations, gifts, and stuff that we don't have anywhere to put them. <laughs> so so we're actually asking for you to look at our Sign Up Genius, which is all over social media. Look on Unsheltered Utah or ours page and um, sign up for some of the things that we specifically need, like milk or but five gallons of milk each night, mm. maybe not 30 gallons of milk, which is so generous <laughs> of folks. Uh, but, you know, we're in a space that wasn't really designed to do this, and storage is definitely a challenge. Yeah, and if you check tonight's uh, show notes, which are already up, a draft, I do have links to that genius sign-up. So you can sign up for a shift, but also the needs that they have and connections to the organizations like Pandos and Salt Lake City Air Protectors. Carl Moore is here with us as well, another nonprofit grassroots organization in the community that is helping out. Carl, what are your thoughts as these temperatures continue to stay so cold? Uh, so thank you, I, and, and I just want to thank everyone who's helped out also, especially the people that, that actually give of their time because it is an overnight thing. I mean, it starts 7.30 at night till 8 in the morning, and um, most of the people that, I mean, we're all, we stay awake during this whole time, basically, and um, just a shout out to everyone who has been there. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just like to bring up kind of like some root issues or like how we got here and things like that. Yeah. You know, I, of course, like always this indigenous perspective that I have of like the way that we conceptualize people and and the value of people and, and how we live and things like that. I just want to make people aware. I mean, we're in this problem right now because people are putting profits over people and people are making money off of housing. People are making money you know, off of property, people are hoarding property, um, you know, all of these things, it, it's just a manifestation of, of colonialism, it's a manifestation of capitalism, it's a manifestation of greed, taking hold of people's hearts. Um, I was interviewing uh, Ben uh, the other day, and, uh, you know, he reminded me, you know, that, that money, uh, the love of money is the root <laughs> of all evil. It mm -hmm. really is the love, you know, this pride, this, this, this having more than we need is just something that we need to get rid of. Um, and that's why we're in this, you know, and, and I think, you know, going back to like how we have so much money that is going towards these efforts or is available towards these efforts. Um, but you know, we, we never get out of this, right? Like all this money goes towards policing, all this money goes towards prisons, all this money goes towards like all of these things. And it, it's a business. Like, a lot of corporations, a lot of nonprofits actually make money and survive off of, you know, the the stresses of people's lives. Um, I, I, so I just want to make people, you know, just bring it back to that is like, you know, us as an indigenous organizations, myself and Dave, you know, like we f we feed people every Saturday, which you all are invited to come out and help us hours. We feed people every every Saturday, you know, and we're going to be feeding people this Saturday. It happens to be uh, Christmas Eve from um, noon to four. And, and what we're trying to do is show people, hey, we're a family. 
you know, it's we're not we're not giving out charity. We're it's, it's a matter of family. This is how families work. This is how families deal with each other. Wendy Garvin, you said that there's kind of a new umbrella organization coming out of this that you're hoping to create. What? So so we all have our own nonprofits and um there's an important point that I'd really love to mention, which is that all of us are volunteers. We've mm -hmm. all been doing this work for at least two years, and all of us do it unpaid on our own free time. And in fact, to be honest, we pour our own money into it on a regular basis. So it, I agree with Carl completely that it is incredibly frustrating that we know what we're capable of, and we know that any single person who decides to step up and do the right thing is 100% capable of this with a much lower budget than we're spending on homeless services now and with a good, kind attitude. Those are the things we need to see more of. What I don't want to see is that our cops are paid more than double than our caseworkers. Um, mm -hmm. And our security guards at the homeless shelters are paid more than double than our caseworkers. And yet the skills and needs of a caseworker are mm -hmm. extraordinary. And the trauma that folks who work with the homeless population go through is not trivial. When you deal with multiple people who are experiencing sexual assault, physical assault, freezing to death, um, we saw people with gangrene in frostbitten stumps, amputees mm. with, with frostbite all over their Last stump, week. and gangrene mm -hmm. it, just in our shelter the other, mm. I'm sorry, in our movie night the other <laughs> night. Um, and, and so the suffering is extraordinary. And yet we're paying our security guards twice as much as our caseworkers when our caseworkers are taking the brunt of that secondary trauma. And we're not giving any money to our people on the street, which would solve their problem in the first place. Pastor Bush, so we're starting movie night again. And, and Dave, what do folks need to know about coming to movie night, Pastor? For the are folks that, yeah, for folks that need the shelter. Yeah, all are welcome. I think one of the beautiful things about these movie nights have really been a sense of belonging and a sense of hospitality to just welcome people in. And so um, the doors open around 8 p.m. and there are, are people that gather ahead of time if they wanna line up in order to get into the church, but we open around 8 p.m. Uh, we do search bags, so no weapons, no drugs or anything like that, but otherwise you can come in and just uh, find a comfortable spot, get some hot chocolate, watch a movie, uh, visit with the volunteers that are there. It's just a really warm and welcoming place. And what's your address? Our address is 203 South 200 East. Downtown Salt Lake City. And they're telling us second and second. And that's second really working second. for us really well. I walked mm -hmm. into the mm -hmm. to the referral center, the Wiegand Center the other day, and the, the front desk staff said, how can I help you? And I said, well, I'm doing this thing down the road I want you to know about. He says, the church? Second and second, you guys, second and second is here. This is the lady doing second and second. So apparently that's us now. We're second and second. And second I think we might second. just adopt that name and, and run with it. There you go. And then, and then just add correlation to that, huh? Second and second correlation. There you go, there Dave. We go. Oh, also too, on Thursday night, uh, the doors will be opening at 8.30, but Wednesday night will be opening at 8 p.m. So tomorrow night and Thursday night. And yes. Will we be extending any of that, or is it dependent on volunteers and support, or, or what's the word um, there? A lot of it is we've been talking, having meetings. Um, we're looking at, like, if the temperature gets down to 20 or below, um, uh, that's when I think uh, the doors will open. Uh, so that's why we'll probably be watching the weather, like, a week before. Okay. Uh, but usually we probably won't really know till like three days before because you know how Utah weather changes. Yes, mm -hmm. we uh, do. So that's why they'll probably give us at least uh, three days to mobilize, you know, once we see those numbers kind of are more steady. Hey, Dave, um, what is the website or social where folks can catch up on hours, hour and sheltered relatives and see the menu for the weekend and how they can help? Um, usually ours... Well, they can go to the ours page on Facebook, and uh, and usually I'll post um, kind of on my page too a menu. Uh, but also too, one thing we talked about too was probably start serving dinner at when the doors open. Nice. At, oh, at uh, movie so, night. Okay. Yeah, so that way you know they'll have the movie, but they'll get to sit down and actually eat off good 
uh, what serving wear and stuff. So that's still in the works. And so I might be posting more menus, <laughs> but we'll just see how the temperature, you know, goes. Can I mention one other really cool thing that's been happening? Please. We are, so this, as the pastor mentioned, we saw this idea on Facebook. Um, and there's actually another church down in Provo that did this. Mm -hmm. And I looked at that and I thought, oh, that's our answer. That's where this whole thing came from. And I saw that on 1104 AM on Thursday morning. And by 4 p.m., Pastor AJ had committed, and Carl and Dave and everybody else who's involved had committed, and so we knew we had the volunteers and the resources. So although I have so much respect for so many people who do good work in our homeless services system, they have had since March when they knew that they were going to be required to provide overflow services. They said that they needed to find 450 beds. In September, they changed that to 275 beds and then have to their credit, slowly been ramping that up as they've managed to build capacity. We did this in four hours, and I'm not gonna say we did it perfect, but we accomplished it and people got out of the cold. And so what I wanna see is, let's get better at this. Yeah. Let's assess the needs, let's respond to them before it's an emergency, let's plan ahead, but not a year ahead, right? Let's plan two weeks ahead, and then let's use the resources and maybe you know, 80% less meetings and 20% more actually doing stuff. Absolutely, let's mobilize. Carl, going to give you the last word. I see you looking up some stuff that you may be wanting to share, <laughs> giving you some time to find that. So Pastor Bush, Dave, John, and Wendy, thank you so much. Carl, what did you want to say? Oh, the uh, the Facebook page is ours. It's uh, an acronym. Uh, so it's O period U period R apostrophe S, our unsheltered relatives. Go to that. That's what it is. Um, I just, you have to turn the sound down. Cause yeah, I know it's peaking out there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I just lost my chin at that. No, um, I, I just want to go back to the need that we have for volunteers. And, and um, you know, this is something that is that has momentum at the moment. But we've seen this in so many different movements, so many different actions where at the beginning people go hard and they go at it. And we get so many donations and so many people want to volunteer. Um, but it's just hard to maintain mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And so we really need people to just know, like, hey, you know, it might be glamorous at this moment it's getting all this media attention but this thing or whatever we're doing we really need to commit to keep on doing this yeah. because mm -hmm. and, and and just to again go back to this the, the statement of hey we are all related we're all related these are our relatives we really need to make sure that we're all taken care of and that's what we're doing we're, we're creating this family environment you know and pastor bush has as um alluded to that you know this is a family thing this is just something that we feel responsible to do to take care of each other and take care of each other in, in a good way in a loving way in a compassionate way and not in a demeaning p paternal way but mm. there you know but w this could be all of us really think about yeah. that this could be one any medical one of disaster us. any one, one of us job yeah. loss and that's because of capitalism yeah well folks and one more thing yeah too Dave, is, go ahead um Winter's just barely beginning, too, so... Hey, winter's technically you know, what? Starts tomorrow? Even, it hasn't even started yet. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. It's just barely getting started. And so, you know, if we're doing this every time the temperature gets down to 20 degrees or below, that's gonna we're going to really need a yeah. lot of volunteers and help, mm. you know, when those days. So keep an eye out, you know, on the temperature. So when you see them going to drop, you know, at least be ready to... Yeah, take action. Mm -hmm. Dave John, Pastor Bush, Wendy Garvin, Carl Morrill, thank you so much. Check tonight's show notes. They're already up in a draft form. I'll add some more based on information that we collect during the hour. But you can connect to ours. You can connect to all sorts. The, the sign-up for uh, In From the Cold Movie Night and all the details are there, whether you can help or need help. We've got you covered. So when we come back, we're going to get the Roundtable Tuesday panel going. Here is a song by Shervin Hajipur Baraye, Women, Life, Freedom on KRCL. برای توی کوچه رخصیدن برای ترسیدن به وقت بوسیدن برای خواهرم خواهرت خواهرامون برای تن
تغییر مغز که پوسیدن برای شرمندگی برای بیپولی برای حسرت یک زندگی معمولی برای کودک زباله گرد و آرزوهاش برای این اقتصاد دستوری برای این هوای آلوده برای ولی اصر و درخت های فرسوده برای پیروز و اعتمال انقرازش برای سگ های بیگناه ممنوعه برای گریه های بیوقفه برای تصویر تکرار این لحظه برای چهره ای که میخنده برای دانش آموزا برای هاینده برای اجباری برای نخبه های زندانی برای کودکان هفتانی برای این همه برای غیر تکراری برای این همه شعارهای تو خالی برای آوار خونه های پوشالی برای احساس آرامش برای خورشید پس از شبای طولانی برای غرصای حساب و بیخوابی برای مرد میهن آبادی برای دختری که آرزو داشت پسر بود برای زن زندگی آزادی The Eccles Theater is partnering with Volunteers of America Utah on a winter clothing drive all month long. Warm coats, jackets, sweaters, winter boots, gloves and hats, socks, new and unused underwear, hand and feet warmers, blankets, pajama bottoms and sweatpants, and thermal underwear. All adult sizes are needed with the greatest need being sizes 2 to 4X. Items can be dropped off at the Women's Resource Center, 131 East, 700 South in Salt Lake City by appointment, or the Eccles Theater. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Share the Love event, a partnership with local charities in delivering hope this holiday season. Learn more and info on how to get involved at markmillersubaru.com. Welcome back to Roundtable Tuesday edition of Radioactive. We have Democracy Now! at 7 p.m. with Amy Goodman, Connor the Late Night Lowdown at 8 p.m., Super Sounds with Chovy at 10.30, and then Wrap It All Around with John Florence starts a brand new day at 6 a.m. But now we're getting into our, uh, I'd say, the meat and potatoes of this conversation, oh, Laura. Oh, that was pretty meaty the that last one. That was really but... meaty. That, yeah, we yeah. left a lot of, yeah, there's some meat on that bone still, though. Yeah, so I've, I've been looking for a way into this conversation about Iran. We've talked with Samira Harnisha, Women of the World, mm-hmm. and uh, one of her colleagues a couple weeks back. And when I was at Gateway Mall for Farmer's Market on the weekend, there were folks at the intersection of 100 South and Rio Grande raising a ruckus. And one of our guests this evening spoke to me, Nasreen Mohammadi. Hi, Nasreen, how are you? Why don't you grab that mic? Hello there. So can you briefly tell us what happened on Saturday and why, who was gathering? We have been gathering every Saturday almost for last um, four months mm-hmm. since the incident, uh, since the execution of the murder of Mahsa Amini, a 22-year-old um, girl for not wearing the proper hijab, which is a head cover. And this was just igniting a pressure vessel that has been building up in Iran over the last 43 years uh, with all the uh, oppressions that has been happening to the whole population, not just any specific group or gender or uh, it's had, they have no prejudice when it comes to um, forceful uh, actions toward the people. So, Rishan, I want want all of our panelists to tell us a bit about themselves. So, Nasreen, can you give a brief bio of yourself? I was born and raised in Iran, came to U.S., Utah, actually, in um, 75 to um, go to University of California Engineering. And I was here when the um, 
79 revolution happened in Iran, and I was just observing it from here, going um, very stressful with all the things that were happening. And now I'm going through, it's a deja vu for me. Mm -hmm. I see the same um, cycle happening again with more uh, intense and serious uh, activities, events that are happening in Iran right now. And I'm, I, we are ho our hope is, our, our wish is that people get informed so we don't make uh, our country, I'm American, <laughs> you are Iranian-American, I've been, my kids are American, but still it's our homeland and I'm hoping that we don't make any deals with the terrorist uh, government of Iran. The Islamic Republic is a terrorist government and they have been uh, doing all that, uh, all kind of terror uh, in the Middle East through Hezbollah, uh, supporting um, the militaries, and now they are doing the same thing in Ukraine with Russia. They don't mind going in bed with anyone who is evil. They're the mother of evil. Shanti Dimiad, share your story with our listeners. So I uh, came to U.S. after completing my education, my undergraduate education in Iran. I studied physics in Sharif University. Uh, I came here in 1998 and continued my, my education uh, ever since in, in the U.S. Uh, I uh, was in Midwest in St. Louis. I did my Ph.D. and then went to uh, Boston, did a postdoc, and then I was here for 13 years in Utah uh, as part of the faculty. Um, I so I, I have I'm I'm Iranian American uh, just uh, like Nasreen, and uh, um, the events that happened in Iran, the recent events, really opened our eyes into um, the, uh, the 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 fact that we were I was not alone. So because when I was growing up there, a lot of people would say that um, this is what people of Iran want. And you are alone in that. And uh, the but the pressure was building up. There were many of us, and we all were sort of isolated in that uh, sort of environment at school, um, in um, university. That you are alone. If you speak up, if you do something, you're going to pay for it, and you can go. There were conversations that they say you can go if you don't want. If you want democracy, we want to be like this. We this is the way that people of Iran want. The, the and we s it was never like that. I think that was just a myth, a myth to keep people. But the pressure builds up. People yeah, when the regime controls all the methods exactly. of communication, but social media, as we've seen, the Arab Spring from many years back. That has played a part in the conversation. Absolutely. I, I want to say that I mischaracterized our panel as being uh, members of Free Iran SLC, which is actually a student group, but you are all supportive, and some of you are supporting them more directly, right? Yes, okay. absolutely. So the students um, who are Iranian or Iranian-American here, they are experiencing it at a, at a, uh, in a different way with all social media that they can access, whether they're there or, or here, and uh, I think there's a solidarity that has developed. Would you agree? I agree with that. I think that I've been trying myself to, uh, uh, I mean, to create some awareness f with American Physical Society mm -hmm. from the other institution, global institutions, that they are um, the scientists, uh, um, communities, to make sure people, the voice of people of Iran is heard. And at very least, they show their support for the people not for the government of Iran, because this is what Nasreen was saying previously. We, what bothers us is the, the hope for, n for normalizing the situation. There's nothing normal about this. And uh, yeah, so negotiation with that government <coughs> is not what people of Iran want. Yeah, and let's bring uh, Hamad. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved? Hamid sure, Gandahari, yeah. are we saying that right? Yes, that's right. I'm Hamid Gandahari. Uh, I live in Salt Lake City. I've lived off and on in Salt Lake for the past four decades, over four decades four actually. Decades. And I actually witnessed some of the very first decade of uh, suppression by the Islamic Republic. In those days, the way they consolidated power in Iran, this is between 1979 and 1989, practically speaking, they really uh, arrested, tortured, and executed the leaders. In fact, in one summer, the very f uh, current president of Iran, the so-called president of Iran, he was part of the panel that would uh, kind of order these executions. And 
Uh, in that summer, they killed 5,000 people. So this root of this whole history of uh, struggle in Iran for democracy, in fact, has been going on for about over 120 years. And different periods, Iranians had short periods of democracy in Iran, enjoyed short periods of democracy, but uh, this is what this struggle is all about. And it's really amazing that, at, at least from my point of view, and I think our panelists would agree, that the main driving force of this movement are young women in Iran, yes. young brave women in Iran. And I, I, in fact, the other day, uh, I saw Shanti's, I think, uh, um, statement, and I totally agree with that. I think this movement is not only important for Iranians, to save Iran for, uh, and, and, and lead to a democratic society. But I think it's already having its effects in the region as well, and I would argue that it will have its, its effects uh, globally. For example, a, few, a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, there were uh, demonstrations in Istanbul, Turkey, uh, chanting Janjian Azadi, which is mean, means woman, life, freedom. Think about this slogan coming from a place that a lot of you know, per perhaps, and, and, and it's no, no fault of our, our friends in, in US, but thinking, oh, this is a backward society. We're not gonna see liberated women who are sitting around this table and really leading the charge. Women are leading the charge. The young are leading the charge. And you asked about why we demonstrated in, in Salt Lake City over the last weekend and the past weekends. Mm -hmm. And the main reason, we are gonna support them until the fall of this regime, and in fact, uh, this is a beginning of the end of this regime, and we have no doubt, I have no doubt in my mind that in the coming years, it's difficult to say when, th these, these societal uh, bursts and revolutions, you can't really predict when it's gonna happen, but this is the beginning mm -hmm. of an end, and, and the Islamic Republic is going to go, and Iranians are going to enjoy democracy in the future. Hamid, thank you. Mariam Radpour is with us as well. Will you tell us about yourself? Uh, I have born, born and raised in Iran like, like everybody, but probably I have been there maybe more than anybody else. I came to U.S. 2008. I graduated in I Isfahan University of Technology, worked there, and got married and came to United States uh, back in 2008, uh, and then we moved to Utah from California. And... I have been through a lot of those kind of up and downs of demonstration. I have seen it through university when I was back in college in Iran. Our college was involved with a lot of those. We have seen some of these, not at this level. It, this level is brutal. It's crazy. But we have seen it off and on, and I experienced that. But I never had the courage as what I can see right now in the younger generation, which is which is something I admire about them. I love them from bo the bottom of my heart, and I will do whatever is in my power to make sure that they, these young souls, these young people, the, all of their, they can uh, get, they can feel the democracy. They mm -hmm. deserve it. Does it also spring though from desperation? Because because they have the bravery because they're they're young, yeah. right? But they also um, are seeing the results of four decades yes. of this oppressive, brutal regime. We're seeing reports that some of the military are especially targeting young women, their yes. faces and their genitals. Yes, that's in correct. In attacking them, shooting them, beating them. It has been like that. It, it, women are the one that they have been always uh, been targeted in uh, in. Uh, Islamic Republic. It has been like the that. The most vulnerable, vulnerable in many we, eyes. We, uh, they look at women as the secondary citizens. That's what they are looking at. The women does not have the same right. And women are have been fighting for the freedom. They work hard to go to universities. They work so hard, even more than men. And to be to have the education when come to the workforce they don't have the same power they don't have the same salary they don't have the same mm -hmm. equal right uh, when it comes to the uh, children's right when they want to have the divorce they don't have the right to keep their children and they have to fight for all the basic rights there and women have like has been facing that yeah. 
this is the first ever time always they were together but never we have seen that men standing behind women like this mm. time women taking off the hijab cutting their hair, hair. Which is a, how why is that such a huge symbol in Iran. In it, it is a cultural thing. It uh-huh. is coming from the Kurdish side, and they are doing that. Nasreen's no, shaking her finger. Knows, <laughs> she knows better than me. The way hijab was implemented was After a tactic. Yeah. It was a tactic that they, this government, the Islamic Republic government, utilized to disable and push the woman out of the workforce. It's very yeah. visible. It yeah. was, it was mm-hmm. something that was a tool that they used in order to put push them out of the workforce, um, deprive them of their freedom, their rights, even, I mean, it started with, you have to wear this hijab, which was a just a, a scarf. If you go into the public office, if you work for government, you have to wear the hijab. If you're going to see someone in public office, you have to wear a hijab. So this did not happen immediately. It was a gradual enforcement to disable and paralyze the females. Well, and was it a betrayal? Because freedom. I read some histories where women of the revolution in the 1978-79 felt that was a betrayal. It was because Iran is very diverse, and we have we, right now your ratio of higher education, female to male, is 65 percent to 35 percent, and 35 percent of those females, even with all the restrictions, all this, all the don't swear. All the roadblocks, <laughs> all the roadblocks that they have been imposing upon them, 35% are in science. Mm. And majority of the students that you see coming to U.S. For, for science, majority of them are female because that's their way out yeah. of that mm. situation. Mm. So, yes, they, they, they pirated this whole democracy out of Iran. Generations of women. Exactly. And they are forcing all these because now they have made you, okay, you can, they reduce the age of marriage so people can, uh, they forced to get married. Uh, if you have a child, you can get divorced. If you don't have permission to work from your husband or your father, you cannot go work. So this is all being building up and it's a pressure vessel that is just needed to be exploited. Do we? I'm sorry. Oh. I saw Hamid writing okay. something. Did you want to share something, Hamid? Well, you mentioned about history, yes. and I think perhaps Please share because I know sure perhaps well. what you're referring to, in fact, as uh, Nasrin mentioned, immediately after the revolution, and I remember those days. I was 18 years old, 1979, March 8th, Women's Day. Women came to the streets and marched. Women without scarf, because at the beginning, Khomeini really fooled a lot of his allies at the beginning. Oh, I'm going to come to Iran, go to Qom. Uh, Qom is the religious city, like Vatican. And then I'm not going to mess with politics. But immediately after he came to power, uh, one, the very first thing that he did, in fact, as, as Nasrin mentioned, is to put hijab on, the, on, on, on people. So from the very beginning, Iranian women have been fighting. In fact, I remember those days that in Tehran University, there was this really beautiful slogan that the other day I uh, shared on social media, that a society is as progressive as how they respect women. This was a major slogan I remember, liberated women, but Islamic Republic suppressed people. And let me add one more thing. Hijab is the cornerstone, the symbol of fundamentalist regimes, whether it's ISIS, whether it's Taliban, and whether it's Islamic Republic. And and Iranian women especially are targeting this very important symbol. And by targeting that symbol, you're targeting that regime. Rashan. Well, I was going to ask, do we feel like this current regime is being more brutal because of the, they're worried about the unification of the people and thus losing power? I answered that one. Nasreen. <laughs> they have been brutal from the day one, but it hasn't been, it has not been exposed. Mm-hmm. Now they're getting exposed. The torture has been happening. When I went back in 79 because of my father, they, they were taking, they were taking, segments of segments, layer of layer of the society, and executing, torturing, arresting, taking away their belongings, and 
this was this is not new but everybody was assuming this is not happening to me we were the people were becoming complicit about this and this is what scares me when i see things happening in this country because i don't want to be complicit if we don't speak up the same thing can happen to any one of us we we kind of witnessed that well, you, you were told if you don't like it, leave. I've heard that a lot in Utah. Yeah, if you don't like the, the status quo. Yeah. And that's a, that's a rallying cry of the po- those in power. Well, they did not say that to mm. you because what happened after in, when there was a hostage crisis, they shut down all the airports. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you couldn't leave the country unless you were doing it illegally through the borders that were borders to the countries of the, uh, the neighboring countries. And if they were arresting you, they would execute you. They w- there was no mercy. So there were a lot of people that they had no choice of staying because either they had h- holding the high positions, the ranking positions in the co- prior government, or they were mm. um, investors, entrepreneurs. They were well-known. They, they threatened them because they first it was the fear of them rising against the government. Mm-hmm. Then it was also their wealth. They, they, yeah. every, every house that they had, now all of these gover- new government, uh, the new government was residing, residing in those houses. And even bigger castles. They talk about castles. They have bigger castles today than anybody during the prior regime. Mm. So, yes, it has been going on, but because it was not, everybody was feeling, oh, it's not about me. Now, the pressure is not just hijab. The pressure is the inflation, the corruption. It's people have no hope for future. There are no jobs. There is nothing for the young generation to look forward to. That's the, the only thing. The this yeah. is the only thing there is left for them right now, is to get out of the country. Shanti. So one thing that I wanted to add was that even back then when I was in university, I was feeling there is no hope. What year was that? And this is 1998 when I graduated, mm-hmm. and I was thinking I need to get out to be able to do my science. But the difference between this generation and my generation is that this generation is not in the dark, thanks to social media. Mm-hmm. They can see each other. They can connect to the world. And back then, it was easy to keep us in the dark. And we would think that you're alone. You're alone. You're the only one you are the one yep. who is being kicked out of the university because you spoke up. But now that is not happening anymore because the students know how many of them are out there. Mm. In 1980s, Islamic Republic killed thousands of Iranian youth and like people that they were like they're in the in the in the prisons. Today, when the similar things are happening, people know. People come out. People instead of in, uh, instead of cl- making it a, a point of fear, it's a, it's enraging the public even further. Exactly. And people in the world are connected. They know what happened to other nations. And one other point that I wanted to add along the topics that we talked is that oppression and control of women, women around the world, it always been, whether in West or East or anywhere else in the world, has been a way for the governments that they want, they, they dictator, dictators. Mm-hmm. And progression starts with having women rights yeah it does so you clamp down on the women which creates fear but it also creates opportunity for the corrupt parts of the regime because you're removing women from public life in the workforce i've been reading rashawn that the morality police are are supposedly gone as some sort of uh but i don't believe it for a second nasreen (laughs) i know you've got a lot to say but mariam what are your thoughts on that because you sent me a couple of notes that you wanted to talk about and one was iran removed from the united nations commission on the status of women last week yes that was a big thing for us i am so so proud of them it is not happened over the night it is the these young people that are in the street uh, all around the world there was there uh, you could see a lot of rallies going globally and they stand up and they ask a, a government that they are doing this to the to women they have no place in a commission for a status of the women it, yeah. it, it there is no place for that yeah. I, and the thought i think has been well we're going to keep them in the circle of nations no not no. if you're executing 
women and girls yes. can you be on a commission about the status of women there's also um, a movement to take political sponsorship for prisoners in Iran yes what, what is that about there are a lot of countries that they started the, the political figures like government allies mostly happened in Canada Europe I haven't seen in US I am trying and a lot of us trying to reach out to a politician and ask them because there are a big list and of execution row the people young people sitting in execution row and uh, we know some of them and the name is out and they are in danger because government wanted to kill them in public to create fear but that's not what's happening it's enraging it, it doesn't but we war. need to save those lives yes. those mm -hmm. should be saved mm -hmm. and when somebody like a political figure sponsor one of those people government cannot execute them easily mm -hmm. there were several of them that Politic uh, political figures in Europe accepted them as the sponsor, sponsored them. Uh, Meaning they could come to that country? No, no. Okay, they just, just stopped the execution. They yeah. take them out of the they're execution. They're saying their names. They, they didn't cancel the execution, but they just uh, bring them back. They mm. said that they stopped it for a few days. Humanitarian but, reasons. But their name is public. Yeah. And because somebody bigger than regular people are behind those people and uh, that's something they cannot do that I think Hamid can add some history behind that Hamid what's the history sure yeah actually uh, there is history to that so as I mentioned uh, Iranians are have been fighting for democracy for over a century and I remember times even in the 70s that uh, there were political prisoners that were kind of under danger of, of being executed and so some of the um, human rights uh, groups uh, supported and it became so public that they were not able to execute that person. If I may, I would like to follow up on that unification, Roshan, that un unification of people that you mentioned. I think one of the s significant characteristics of the current movement compared to, for example, the movement I of 2009 when the elections were held in Iran and uh, one of the, the elections were basically rigged, is that there was this reformist movement, uh, particularly between uh, 1999 and 2009, maybe up to maybe 2015. But since uh, a movement three years ago that uh, was, was started because of the increase in gas prices, people, even those who were reformist at the time, they have given up on that. Not the reformist leaders, but the public that was following the reformists. Now they say we have had it, they are totally against the regime, and this regime must go. I think this is, to me, this is the most significant event because the entire, almost the entire population has come to the realization that there's no way we're going to have any democracy with this existing regime. Yeah. And I think this is the nail in the coffin of uh, Islamic Republic. We have just a few minutes left, and I know that Free Iran SLC, the student group, they are planning another rally on January 7th, I think is what I heard over yeah. the weekend. We'd like to invite the students uh, through you, if you could help extend the invitation, to come on the show Tuesday of that week. Um, I believe that is the 3rd of January and have another conversation. Can I you help us arrange yes, that? Yes, I will let them know, okay. and they would be happy to come. What else can folks do listening to this tonight? Because I know that there are petitions to sign. There, are, you know, If you, you want to use your social media platform, you have suggestions for what people yeah. can tweet. Hamid. Very quickly, I would love to see uh, Salt, Lake Salt Lake City citizens, Utah citizens, particularly progressive citizens, who have their own causes, Black Lives Matter, people uh, and, and other segments of the society that really care about movements to join us. This is a global movement. This is not an Iranian movement. And uh, let's uh, let everybody have a, a chance for a closing comment. Miriam. Uh, I just wanted to say we stand up with all the groups when it comes to Roe v. Wade, Black Lives Matter, Ukrainian, Afghanis, uh, Afghani people. Ukra I, I personally saw a lot of Iranian came out for all of those movements. I wish I can see the same. We are on this together, and we would love to stand up and become stronger like a bigger co community. Mariam Rapport, thank you. Nasreen Mohammadi, closing thoughts? I want to appreciate everyone. As everybody said, please unify with us. Um, we are all part of the same humanity. 
we uh, stood up for, with everyone. It's human rights. It's not just Iranian rights. It's human rights. We all, and it's the time of the year that we are all celebrating the birth of Christ and their different celebrations. This is a time of happiness. And please support us to be, be become a happy nation again. And the United Nations Human Rights Council has established an independent international fact-finding mission that was stated around Thanksgiving, I believe. And last word to you, Shanti Dimiat. So I'm just going to quote a um, poem by Sadi uh, that is on the United Nation. And it says, all human beings are members of one frame, since all at first from the same essence came. When time afflicts a limb with pain, the other limbs at rest cannot remain. If you feel not for others' misery, a human being is no name for thee. So um, I hope that we, under, we know that this is something for all of us, for, uh, and we should be sensitive, Iran and other places, and for woman life and uh, liberty. Thank you so much, Rashan. That's our show. We are out of time. Yeah, we are. But we are a guarantee next the Tuesday of the first week of January, we'd love to have you back with the students. So we'll get working on that. In the meantime, Rashan, thanks for a great year. We'll see you in 2023. Yeah, we will. Okay. Take care, everybody. This is KRCL Salt Lake City 90.9 FM online at krcl.org. Support for KRCL comes from our listeners and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.